that you are consciousness again, having the experience. And so it's about not identifying with your thoughts, but learning to acknowledge your thoughts and watch your thoughts. And for some time they are intrusive, but that's only because of that program that's been instilled in you since you were a young person. So if you have say unworthy thoughts, well, you weren't born with unworthy thoughts. They were programmed. The Happy Healthy Human podcast will help you build your happy, healthy life. Your host, Paul Levitin, is a board-licensed health and wellness coach, nutrition coach, personal trainer, and behavior change specialist with over 10 years of experience helping people create positive life change. Each week, he discusses topics that will help you understand yourself, why you do the things you do, and how to take steps to create the life of your dreams. He talks with experts from therapists to addictions counselors, coaches, trainers, CEOs, financial planners, and more. If you've ever wondered how can you become the best, happiest, healthiest version of yourself, you've come to the right place. Justin Lovato is a conscious conversation coach, a mentor, a breathwork facilitator, a plant medicine guide, and so much more. Justin works with individuals to help identify and simplify certain problem behaviors through breathwork and mindfulness practices. I met Justin at a workout event here in Austin called Self-Care Sunday. That was like a group workout with a cold plunge and a sauna, and it was a great place to network and meet like-minded individuals, especially when I had just moved to Austin. And after we connected there, Justin invited me to one of his in-person transcendental breathwork seminars, and it was a truly eye-opening experience for me. I've done a lot of breathwork in my life, but nothing like what Justin had me do at his seminar. So I definitely encourage you to check out his website in the show notes and maybe attend one of his virtual seminars if you can't make it in person, or if you're in Austin, check out what he's doing live. Everything Justin does is to promote and generate love and heart and mind coherence. He is a master at creating and holding safe space for individuals to grow physically, mentally, and spiritually. And that's why I'm so excited for you to get to listen to this conversation with Justin Lovato. There is a famous saying, it might be Maya Angelou, I don't know actually who it is, but it's a, a saying that everyone knows, which is like, or, or maybe it's Gandhi, I don't know, be the change you want to see in the world, right? That's a pretty famous saying that people want to, that people uh, know. And I see you doing a lot. And I feel like you are someone who embodies this. But I'm curious, what is the actual change that you want to see in the world? I think, uh, just a, a high level of awareness of how we participate in it. I think that's something that um, I think could benefit not only the people, um, but the world itself and everything within it is just a level of awareness of how we operate and how we consume in this world and how we partake in it. Um, so that's, I, I think that's the biggest thing is awareness. And if we can become more aware, the world could be a much better place. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Awareness is, to me, the first step of everything, right? You can't change something that you aren't aware of. And most of us walk around, and I say us because I'm included in this, you know, even for all the work mm -hmm. that I've done in this kind of unconscious awareness. And then when you become aware, you take the, the wool from over your eyes. That's when I say like the game starts like that's now you're just before that you're just kind of wandering around in the fog 
just because you become aware now it's like now we're on an even playing field now we can actually start to fight for the things that we want so what is it that when we talk about awareness you know that that's that's all encompassing that's everything what are some of the things the the specific topics where either in yourself or in what you teach to your students what what you want people to be more aware of so i think it's good to first take a step into or take a step back into what allows us to become more aware because that's kind of important right so the hard part is becoming aware. How do we wake up, so to speak? How do we see the behaviors in our blind spots that truly don't serve us, that actually cause suffering? Um, and uh, that is presence. So presence equals awareness, which allows behavioral change or perspective shift. So presence is actually the bread and butter of all of this. Awareness is is very important, obviously, because it allows change. But for us to first become aware, we must become still and present in the moment to be able to see uh, the behaviors and the way that we operate um, in our everyday lives. And so I think presence is a big, important, big importance. Um, so I'm a big advocate, obviously, for breath work and meditation for what I teach. Um, and then just awareness, I think, for me, is how we consume. I think conscious consumerism is, you can kind of put everything into that category, conscious consumerism, the way that we consume from the music we listen to, to the food that we eat, to the television shows that we watch, uh, essentially the businesses that we support um, and understanding and becoming aware of how they operate. Are they coming from a place of service or are they coming from a place of service to self? Um, uh, when they do things and when they create a project, whether it's food or some type of material, um, are they doing it with love? Uh, are they doing it with mindfulness of the planet? Are they doing it with mindfulness of the animals and the people that are partaking? Um, all those types of things are really important to be aware of when we are partaking, consuming, and purchasing. And, uh, and those things are hard to become aware of. I've noticed that um, you know, there are just endless forks in the road as we go in this life. Um, presence allows us to become aware of these forks in the road. And these forks in the road, uh, big or small, uh, easy or hard, are essentially choices. And it's either service to self or uh, service to others at each one of these forks. And, um, you know, sometimes they're very easy to make changes, these behaviors. Uh, other ones are a little bit more difficult if they are coping mechanisms or possibly tradition. Um, they could be a little bit harder to make changes and take time. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, consumerism is the biggest thing I personally focus on. And I realize since everything is energy and we're always dealing in energy, it seems to be the most important thing for everybody as well. Uh, it's just becoming aware of how we consume and, and, and uh, how powerful that can be. Yeah, I think that that is extremely important consumerism because for whatever, for better or worse, we are consumers in this, in this world, right? You know, it, there's a lot to be said about, you know, conscious consumption and things like that, but you cannot live in this world in 2023 or whatever you're listening to this and not be a consumer of some sort. You know, I've, I've uh, read about, you know, people who do, you know, like zero waste challenges and things like that. And it's, it's like, it's literally impossible to detach yourself from this, from the machine in, in, in at least some way, right? And so because of that, if you're going to be a part of the machine, 
than trying to be a part of the solution rather than a part of the problem. But that's extremely challenging, right? It's, it's, this stuff is everything, you know, it's, it's interesting, you brought up that fork in the road, right? And I like the way you put it, where it's either do for self or do for others. And when I teach and talk a lot, I talk about a fork in the road as well. But I always say, there's a fork and the fork and it's, oh, it's always it's, it's repeating over and over, like you just said, right, we're always coming to the same fork in the road. But to me, it's, do I do the easy thing? Or do mm -hmm. I do the hard thing? And that's, and it's always that and one thing is going to be easier and one thing is going to be harder. And always our natural human inclination is to do the easier thing because that's self-preservation. That's life, right? Is take the path of least resistance, save as much energy as possible. And always, and I haven't, I still haven't found a, a rule, something to break this rule. The thing that we really are supposed to do is the harder thing. And that's the thing that it's more challenging. We have to force ourselves out of our comfort zone to do it. And it's, we don't want to do it because we want to do the easier thing, but that's the thing that we really should. I don't like the word should, but should be doing most of the time. And that's right. Exactly. Like you just said, like doing the research instead of just buying the cheap thing on Amazon, right? Fine, like paying extra money for the organic raised cow or chicken or something like that. If you're going to eat meat rather than just again, going to Costco and buying the, the, the farm factory raised, whatever, whatever, whatever. Yes, it's harder. But to me, that's kind of the yeah. whole point. But that comes back around to what you were you, you said in the beginning. And this is what I want to come back to, which was presence, right? And, you know, I, I always want to dig into words like this, because it's like, if I'm listening, and you're like, well, presence is the key to everything. And it's like, well, I'm here right now. You know, what, what, what does that mean to be present? Like how, how can I be more present than just sitting here listening to this? Yeah. Well, you know, like it's easy to sit and listen to some things like this and be present in these very moments. But oftentimes people, um, are just simply not present in their everyday life to have the ability to take a moment to even be more aware. And I've been guilty of that, um, very much in my life and, uh, and still lack awareness in many other ways. I've become very, very myopic, even in a level of presence, even. So, uh, yeah, I think presence is just a great way for us to, um, you know, one of the big things that I, I really try to uh, have people maybe start to pay attention to is how much time are they spending in the past versus how much time they're spending in the future and kind of give me a percentage and then how much time they're spending in the present moment. It's a very small percentage. And so if we're always in the mind, if we're always going through um, usually intrusive thoughts of unworthiness or anxious thoughts about the future, there's very little bit of time to actually be in the moment, to be aware of, of how we are partaking. And so um, I, I also realize that most of my practices and most of my work when it comes to myself and also my clients, it, it's very simple. It's, it's literally retraining my person to be in a consistent state of presence uh, throughout the day as much as possible to be not distracted, whether it's through the external or uh, with my mind, you know, and it's mind movies. And um, I think presence in, in many ways is, is most of the time it's, it's just touched on, but it's not done with intention. It's not done with uh, awareness. Like we can become very present, say, even with the cold plunge. Um, but a lot of people aren't realizing what's happening in the cold plunge. They don't realize why they all of a sudden have clarity on a certain situation or have awareness on a certain thing. 
And it's because for that brief moment, their brain and their, their mind had to become very, very present on this thing that is cold. I am cold. It is cold. It is cold. It is cold. It is cold. Over and over, it's, it's cold. It's cold. It's become very focused, the attention on this one thing for a period of time. And that level of presence really does open up um, a portal, so to speak, for awareness to come through, for more, more specifically loving awareness to come through. Um, and, and maybe bless us with a different perspective or point of view of how we operate with those next hours that follow before we become distracted again or, yeah, or are no longer present again. And so what, for me, what I realize, if I can be present through my day, whether it's through my breathwork practices or simply just going on a walk and being hyper aware, um, this portal, so to speak, is always open for consciousness, for loving awareness to always flow through to, to help guide me to be simply aware of how I'm partaking in this everyday life as opposed to being um, distracted by my thoughts, distracted by my phone, distracted by simply everything that is vying for your attention, that is consistently reaching and wanting your attention. Um, so yeah, I think we can be present in the, like, like, as you said, sitting here and listening and taking information. But most of the time, even that most people are, are doing something else. They're not just strategically listening to this and taking this in and feeling how their body feels when they hear information. Um, there's definitely levels to it. Yeah, so if I'm understanding you right, it's it's presence is about being here in the moment and getting ourselves out of the natural predisposition we have to be focused either on the past or on the future, right? So I, I call this, you know, it, living in the past is, you know, there, there's everything where we're ruminating and then there's living in the future and that's like anxiety where it's like, what's going to happen, all these things. And it it's hard to get out of that. I've, I've, I found with myself and with clients because the now is such a small percentage of things, right? <laughs> Most of what's ever happened to you is in the past and everything else is in the future. And right now is only this one second. So it's easy for our, our mind to, to wander, but everything happens actually in the now, the now is all that is real, right? That the past is gone. The future is, does not exist. And so all we really have is now. So to me, this is the most powerful tool. So I'm curious, you mentioned cold plunges and some either physical or mental. And I want to get into your, uh, you know, the various breathwork practices that you teach. So I'm curious if you could either go into breathwork or any of the other stuff that you use a little bit more specifically to find that presence and get yourself to awareness. So I think it's really important to, to understand, and, and I'm sure you've heard this expression, you have a mind, but you are not the mind. You have thoughts, but you are not the thoughts. Um, you know, I think the definition of enlightenment is good to express here, you know, understanding that we are consciousness having an experience uh, through this beautiful vessel. And, uh, and so that's how I see this experience. Um, and so I've come to the understanding as consciousness that I need to train this beautiful sentient being, this vessel to simply be more present. So it's, it's kind of like, um, if you have a dog and if your dog's trained or not, if it's disciplined or not, if, if it sits, if it, if it pulls on the leash and whatnot, and most people's uh, sentient beings, most people's avatars, if you will, are, are very much untrained, undisciplined, highly addicted, highly stimulated, very, very unaware. And um, yeah, so so I, I became hyper aware of this, um, that I am not the person, so to speak, that I am consciousness experiencing this person. How can I 
um, hold space for him? How can I guide him to be more conscious, to be more loving awareness, to be more still, more present? And so typically I make my entire day about this practice, the practice of presence as much as possible. So when I wake up first thing in the morning, if I don't get in the cold, I'm getting into my breath work. And again, it's not to um, achieve anything, so to speak. We can get into practices that you can do during your breath work um, to achieve certain things, but it's mostly to create and train my brain, my person to simply be more present or still in that very moment. So it's just an actual exercise that I'm doing. Um, and as I mentioned before, when we get really, really still, that's when, so to speak, that, that portal will open. And when that portal opens, because the mind is really still consciousness kind of flows through, um, without distortion and the person can actually hear the download, so to speak, the, the epiphany, the idea, the original thought, uh, without the mind getting in the way. Cause usually the mind's so busy and so chattery and so loud. And so I, you know, I start off with the breath work and then I usually go for a run and the run allows me to fall into that presence, that flow state even more. And then I'll get into the cold, another presence moment. And then also with my training and then, you know, taking a moment to put my feet on the grass and be present with the earth and pay attention to the sensations that are happening within my body and with the sun, uh, the same exact thing. And so I ended up creating what I call a, a daily presence board or a daily practice board, if you will. And I wrote down like, 30, maybe even 40 things now, that's uh, around 30 things that require my attention, that require my presence so that I'm consistently training my human, so to speak, my person um, to fall into this new behavior of presence, if you will. Um, and it's, it's one of the things that um, it has to be consistent unless you're an individual that, you know, lives the monk life. And, or if you're a person who like lives out in the mountains uh, and you're consistently in nature and then you're always met with presence on a daily basis, which will teach you. Um, that's one of the beautiful things about nature. If you're in nature all the time, you, you typically don't have to do a lot of the, I guess, biohacking, if you will, or um, a lot of the practices that I have to do. Because when we live in the machine, so to speak, uh, you have to be very, very uh, intelligent about, about how much you are uh, being in that machine and how much time you're spending uh, creating that stillness within you, you know, that, and, and to pull yourself out of that machine, that paradigm, uh, takes quite a bit of, uh, practice and discipline. You're consistently, um, you know, doing new things unknown, which also makes the human very resistant because it doesn't like the unknown. That's so it, it can become anxious about breathwork practice. You become anxious about the cold and become anxious about all these unknown practices that will help it become more aware and m more love. Uh, so that alone is a, a thing in itself um, and uh, a process, which is also very normal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I fill my day with with these wonderful daily practices that require my my attention, my focus as much as possible, um, even as simple as when we sit and eat our food. Um, are we able to uh, not look at our phones and become distracted? You know, the human the human, especially at this point, the brain is so addicted to this, this search for another dopamine hit, um, especially the type of dopamine we're getting now, it spikes up and comes down so fast that essentially I think the brain and almost human beings are all addicted um, to stimulation, essentially. Um, and so 
teaching our person, our, our sentient being, just like you would a dog to sit and wait and just wait, just wait, um, takes practice. And I have wonderful dialogue with my person um, on a daily basis when he's looking at his phone too much or when he needs to sit down and, and take a moment and pause. And um, he gets smarter. He gets more conscious. He Because the brain is also built on reward-based learning. You know, and so if you, right now, if you are unaware and the brain's just kind of leading, leading all of this, it's always going to search for these um, instant gratifications and it's not aware enough to realize that it goes up and drops down. It's going to look for it again. So you have to bring awareness into the field of this person. Be like, hey, listen, like this dopamine hit that you're getting from your phone, it's only going to go up for a second then it's going to come down. And that's what you're looking for right now. So you're going through withdrawal every few minutes and having that dialogue with, with Justin is really powerful. So I can be like, Hey, instead of going on your phone right now, let's go hop in the cold plunge and that dopamine will spike for four to six hours and you'll be at a baseline and it will help you manage what you're feeling right now on a higher level. And having that dialogue is incredibly powerful. And I kind of do that through the day. Yeah, it's a, a lot, a lot there that you just uh, highlighted that I want to un, uh, unpack. And a bit is one kind of what you were just saying at the end there, the, the dopamine spikes and the constant chase that we are on. It's kind of what you were saying before about the fork in the road, right? Doing for self and doing for others. The dopamine is doing for self, right? Like scrolling on TikTok or, or, or again, eating the the food while I'm while I'm watching TV or something like that. It's like that feels good now, but what am I really doing for the world? Or what I was saying, it's the easy thing versus the hard thing. The easy thing is always to go after the instant dopamine hit. And I really like the analogy you used of like the dog trainer. Right? You're training your dog and, and the, the self being the, the, the dog walker and having your, the body and even the mind, because a lot of people think of it like as the mind is in control of the body. But in reality, it's the, 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 there is the, the mind is we're not really in control of our mind. We are only so much. Right. I, I, I like to always, you know, when people talk about the mind, I'm like, well, you know, have you ever had intrusive thoughts? Have you ever blurted something out and like wanted to take it back? Have you ever did something that you wish you hadn't? Well, then clearly you're not that in control of your mind. Right, we're in control of some things, right? But you can't slow your heart rate down if you want to. You can't make your muscles grow if you want to. You you can't think everything into happening. So we're only in control of so much. But you kept coming back to this word of your practice, and I think that's what's important for people listening is that this stuff is a practice. It is not. Uh, it, it's something that you do and you set it and forget it. A meditation practice, a breathwork mm -hmm. practice, and. They're, they are muscles, just like in the physical body, you need to work a muscle and it will grow if you work it. And if you don't, it will atrophy. And all of this stuff is like that. And the, the machine that we're in that you referenced is taking us away from those practices. And all of these muscles have atrophied because of it. It's, I mean, it literally is the movie, The Matrix, where the, he wakes up in that little like bubble and like his body is, does, he's like a baby calf standing for the first time and he can't do it because his, his, he hasn't used any of his muscles in so long. And you're saying all this stuff and I'm listening to you talk about wake up with a cold plunge and the breath work and get my sun on my skin and grass on my feet and exercise and go for a run. And I'm, like, I'm listening to you and it's like, I want to quit my job and move out to a farm right now because it's so obviously apparent to me that this is the right way to live. Like this is how humans are supposed to, to live. But you have crafted your life in such a way to make this doable for you. And I, as much as I, I feel that is the right thing to do, the, the 
pragmatist side of me instantly fights back against this and goes, well, what about me who lives in the real world, who doesn't have 40 different points throughout the day to do all this thing, which I'm sure is something that you get with your clients and the people that you teach and things like that. So where do we meet someone in the middle who's like, yeah, I, I'm with you, Justin, but like I have kids and a family and a, and a nine to five. And this, yeah, I that, think and the it's, um, I think the transition is something that a lot of people don't think about. I think they see where I'm at and they're like, oh, he just magically happened there. Uh, this is a 10 year process. I've, I've also started um, just like everybody else within the machine, heavily eating in the machine, working in the machine, playing in the machine, you know, and as you do this work, have fun with becoming aware. It doesn't have to happen all at once. You don't have to, you know, move out to a farm right away. You don't have to, but you could start small. You can end your showers with cold. You know, you, when it comes to food, start start simple. If it, like maybe just start eating whole organic foods. You know, you can, or, or maybe just start going to farmers markets only or something like that. You really can start, um, you know, very very easily, very very small taking five minutes to pause, you know, if you do have kids and you, you know, your life is hectic and you're, you're still learning how to wake up early, like start, start small with stuff and have fun with the transition. You don't have to do it all at once. There is no place to be, right? It's a lot of this is still like operating from the ego, right? The ego thinks it needs to do all these things. The ego thinks it needs to be where I'm at. And no, it, it can just see, it can just look at me and be like, okay, how did this person get here? And let me start small. And, and it can be fun. It doesn't have to be challenging. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. It doesn't have to be um, even difficult. Um, it will be sometimes because the ego really is good about resisting and not wanting change. You know, that's one of the things that is that is important when people say, I, I don't want to do this or I'm having trouble to do this. Like, who's speaking in that very moment? And uh, if you really pay attention, it's definitely the ego self that, that doesn't want to take the cold shower at the end is really good at convincing you not to. It's really good about, um, you know, a lot of times when you come home and you, you know, you have a choice to go for a walk with your family as opposed to putting on the TV. So these are a lot of just really strong, strong um, habits again that, again, the, the important thing is, is not identifying with your mind. I think that's really, really important here. If you identify with your mind, with your thoughts, your feelings and emotions, uh, you will also therefore identify with the ego that the mind created, right? So the mind at a very young age, the, the person, and most people are born in unsafe environments when they're children. Um, I believe that people are born without egos. Babies are born without egos. They're born pure and they're born with loving awareness, a loving uh, presence, um, which is the same frequency as love. And I, I truly feel that um, as they go through their experiences, most most humans are, and most children are having very good experiences. And to protect themselves, they create and manifest what we call the ego. And this ego, um, you know, feels safe and it, it thinks it keeps them safe, but really keeps them small. It keeps them limited in many ways. And so I think the ego is really most of the time running the show and the one who's speaking and the brain can't really differentiate like it between itself and the manifested ego that it created. Um, and so like, so if you identify with your thoughts, if you identify only as the person and not as consciousness experiencing the person, you will also identify with the egoic chatter. And so this is a really big shift for a lot of people and, and a lot of times kind of hard to understand and even and grasp is understanding that you are consciousness, again, having the experience. 
And so it's about not identifying with your thoughts, but learning to acknowledge your thoughts and watch your thoughts. Yes, as you mentioned before, like, you know, thoughts just kind of happen. And, and, for, and for some time, they are intrusive, but that's only because of that program that's been instilled in you since you were a young person. So if you have, say, unworthy thoughts, well, you weren't born with unworthy thoughts. They were programmed uh, through society, through the collective. So the big first step is realizing that I am not my thoughts and these thoughts are not me. They are a program. They are a conditioning. So how can I reprogram my brain? My brain is malleable. Um, I can build neurological pathways. I can create new thoughts and programs within this beautiful mind that basically is a computer. And I am not this mind. And so how can I essentially, I guess, you can see the brain as like, say, a, a mountain of snow. And the entire time you've been going down the same slope. And you've been going down that same slope so much, those grooves are so deep. And even if you try to go down a different way, uh, you fall back into those grooves because they're so deep. Well, how do you get fresh powder on the mountain? And it's going to be through presence, through awareness, through right, through through uh, connecting to spirit again, through this level level of, of of pure presence and stillness. And then that when that happens, you can kind of start making uh, better choices for your helping your person make better choices and build new neurological pathways and introduce bigger and better behaviors. Because right now, it, it, the reason why it also like dives into the same poor behaviors is one, it's not aware of these bigger, better behaviors. And, and if you just introduce it, if you take a moment to introduce it, right, because your, your human's always going to have this, the same thing where it's triggered, and then there's a behavior, and then there's a result or reward. And most people don't realize this is how the mind works, trigger, behavior, reward, and it's built on reward-based learning. And so it's really quite beautiful. If you can, if you can have a moment to pause to be aware of your trigger, you then can have a pause or a moment to become aware of what can I choose right now as a bigger, better behavior that will give me a bigger, better reward. And so most of the time there is no awareness around this process for most human beings. They don't, they don't pay attention when they're triggered. They have no idea or pay attention to the behavior they unconsciously just went into. And they never ask themselves afterwards, like, man, was that behavioral choice a good one? Did it give me a good result? And so this is also part of awareness is becoming like, man, this doesn't feel good anymore. What can I do differently? And, uh, and at first, like I mentioned, it's kind of hard because the brain wants the quick fix. There's a reason why if you get triggered, you go to your phone. Because if you get triggered, that doesn't feel good within your body. And your human wants to get rid of this feeling right now. That's all it wants to do. And it doesn't have the tools yet to sit with these emotions, to process these emotions, to become present with these emotions and let these emotions out. So at first, just wants a quick fix to just distract itself or numb itself from those things. So it'll go to its phone. But then after you're done with your phone, you're more anxious and you fall into kind of like a cyclical loop. And there's not enough awareness to realize this autopilot pattern that's happening. But when you practice stillness, you can be like, oh, my person's triggered right now. I feel triggered. And whether that's from the external or from an actual mind movie that your brain created due to its programming and conditioning, right? If I am unworthy, then you could be like, ooh, my brain, my person just had an intrusive thought and it created a, a trigger within me. And I can feel that my person now wants to go to the fridge and eat to cope with this. And then you could be like, well, I know that I'm not hungry. And I know that once I eat this bad food, I'm actually going to feel worse. And you have this type of dialogue. What can I do right now? What can I do right now as a better behavior for my person that will give them a bigger, better result? And, and it's always going to be presence because presence is the same frequency as love. 
So it's always presence. It's always like, oh, I'm triggered. Go put your feet on the grass. Oh, I'm triggered. Go get in the cold. Oh, I'm triggered. Do your breath work. Oh, I'm triggered. Dance. Oh, I'm triggered. Go for a walk and be present. And then once you become present, the mind stops being in the intrusive space, whether it's in the past or the future, and it becomes in the now. And then what's beautiful about that, the portal opens and then hits you exactly with maybe a, a thought process on how to handle this through a loving lens. And then after that beautiful behavior of presence, the reward, there's no better behavior. There's no bigger behavior than love ever. And so if you just introduce this to your human, to your person, as little as 14 times, they say, it becomes the new autopilot loop. So it's just, it's just having these moments of like pauses, these pauses, but it's so hard for people to pause because of awareness. And it's so hard for them to have awareness because they don't practice presence. And so presence, behavioral, and then change happens. It's really cool. Yeah, I mean, th that last... <clears throat> five minutes or so it was a, a master class right there there's so much uh, so many points i want to i want to push on and exactly like you said right it's it's the it's the habit loop right so cue reward response you know response reward you know and that's the thing everything is a loop and that's what that's this is why it's so important because either you're spiraling up or you're spiraling down either you're in a in a spiral of positive habits with positive reinforcements that are making you better or like you said you're caught in a doom scroll uh with it with easy dopamine hits that's bringing you down and we don't get to stay the same you know the 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 universe is entropy and life is movement and people think they're like well yeah i'm not i'm not working on myself but like i'm good where i'm at but you don't get to mm -hmm. stay where you're at if you are not actively working on yourself in some capacity you are actively choosing to get worse because we don't get to stay in Good. one space. And it, you know, in the beginning there, you you were talking about like, I, I caught it happening to myself. It was it was very interesting where you're like, you're talking about, oh, well, the, the small steps that we could take. You're like, well, you know, if you, you can't do this, maybe just go to a farmer's market. And my instant the egoic reaction in my head was like, yeah, but the farmer's market is more expensive. Yeah, but like this. And I'm like, I caught myself and it's like, you were talking about the ego. And what I realized in that moment is that the ego has been created, just like you said, as like a defense mechanism. And that's why, you know, to everyone listening, I always highlight this because like everything that we do, although it has potential negative benefits, comes from a place of love. It's our brain trying to protect us. Our brain just doesn't understand how the world works. And we get caught in these cycles, right? If you if we only lived to be, you know, if we only lived for the next 30 seconds, then all of the safety mechanisms that our brain puts in place would be great because they would keep us alive for 30 seconds. But on a 30 year time horizon, they start to backfire on us. So I realized that but then I as I start to like, I had that reaction of like, well, you think these things are expensive, or I have a job or whatever, I realized that like, my ego is also tied into the machine. The machine wants me to have that thought of like, can't eat healthy. That's too expensive. Can't, can't do this because you got to go to work. And it's just like it to, to get out of that. I had to pause and it's, you know, it's all of the same things, right? This is diet. This is exercise. This is relationships. This is business. It's just like, we have our instant knee jerk response, which is what our brain is just like, do this or like, and then if we end the conversation there, we we get stuck in that place. But if we just give ourselves just the slightest amount of time, you know, when I, when I used to teach nutrition a lot, I'd say like, just pause when you have a craving for something, give yourself a pause, count, count down from 10 and see, do I still want it? The longer you can make that pause, the better chance you have of not eating the thing, right? Like say you're, you're like, I need that pint of Ben and Jerry's. If you wait 10 seconds, you might be like, yeah, I probably don't need it, but I still want it. 
guarantee if you wait five minutes or 10 minutes, you're going to go, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just not going to have that thing. Cause you realize it's bad for you. You give your brain, your, your, yourself, your higher self, a chance to catch up to that, to that real, like that, that, that instant ego yeah. machine, uh, thing. And that, that takes, you know, a word that I've heard you talk about, um, which is detachment. And I wanted to, for you to explain what, what is detachment or as you've, I've heard you explain it before the law yeah. of detachment. Um, well, they're a little bit different. So I think, I think detachment is very powerful when it comes to say, um, and I won't even say detachment because then I would say what, what we're really talking about, how do we become the observer, right? How do we become the observer of this space? And, and what's a really cool, um, analogy that I can paint for people, so they can really understand what we're talking about because I'm saying like my person, I'm saying I'm not the person and this is, can be a little confusing for some people. So let's, let's kind of make this, um, kind of simple. So you say you right now in this, in this exact state that you are in talking to me, you are consciousness in this vessel, just the whole vessel, you are consciousness, right? And say as consciousness, um, you go into you know, a store and the store has this amazing, uh, suit, uh, virtual reality game. And you put the whole suit on your hands, go in, you put the whole suit on your legs, go in, you put these goggles on. And when you put this suit on, you even pick a, an avatar that you get to experience this with, um, you can touch, taste, see, smell, hear, and even think within this suit. And so it has all these senses because thinking is a sense, by the way, it's a, it's a sixth sense. It's how you interpret the world as consciousness. Um, you go into the suit and you experience this game. Well, it's so real and you've been in for so long that you forgot that you're in the suit. You forgot that you're in the game as consciousness. So that's essentially what I feel all of this is uh, consciousness experiencing itself through these amazing suits through, through these amazing sentient beings. And so that's, that's an important thing to like really understand. So most people go through life identifying only as the person and, and it's thoughts, it's feelings and emotions. Yes. That is also a part of consciousness, but on a bigger scale, you are consciousness experiencing itself through this beautiful sentient being. And so Becoming the observer of your being is incredibly powerful. That gives you the pause. That gives you the moment to be like, hey, do you, talking to your person, do you, are you sure you want to do this? Should we go do this instead? Having the dialogue with your person. Like every time I wake up in the morning, my person, that is Justin, is like, ah, I don't want to do breath work. Every time. Every time. He, he rather, he much rather you know, come go on his phone. He'd much rather have his coffee right away. He'd much rather, you know, be comfortable and, and not go in the cold. He'd much rather do all those things. The human will always seek comfort. The human, that's what it does, right? It likes to seek comfort, the easiest path possible, as you said. But I am not the human, so to speak. So I need to also, I need to also encourage my human to become more aware, to encourage my human like, hey, listen, your your normal way of going about things is wanting to eat grapes off a plate, but it doesn't help you. You need to get still. You're overstimulated. You need to do hard things because you're too comfortable. You need to work out. You need to eat healthy. And, and the human, 
has all of its programs and conditioning and, and, and may resist the entire time, but it does get smarter every time you do the work and you do give it awareness. And eventually uh, you really fall into that observing chair. Like most of the time I'm operating from the observer, I'm watching my person. Um, and so when he goes to say, becomes interested in eating something, I can be like, hey, do you, are you sure you want that? And I'm in that space already. Where most people, they already they only identify with the person. If the person wants the cookie and they identify with the person, guess what? They're going to eat the cookie every time. But if you don't identify with the person and you're able to observe your person who wants the cookie, you'd be like, hey, do you actually want that cookie? Because you're trying to do this and you're trying to do that. Like, what? Like, why do you, do you actually want the cookie? If you want the cookie because of X, Y, and Z and they're really great reasons, great. But are you just reacting to the cookie? Are you just grabbing for the cookie? Are you just coping with the cookie? You know, and most of the time people are doing a lot of these things, by the way, um, one, because they're highly addicted to um, the chase for dopamine and stimulation. I think that's the biggest thing. Most people are, are, are just addicted in everyday life um, and or they cannot sit still because they have a lot of the stored energy um, that 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 comes from their hard experiences that they never processed. And also they have stored energy that comes from their intrusive thoughts because thoughts become things. Thoughts create vibrations within your body. I think therefore I am type of thing. So a lot of people have powerful, powerful, low vibrational stored energy within their human vessel. And if they're, if they're quiet for a moment, that is what they feel on top of the withdrawal, the addiction to the stimulation. So most people don't feel good at all being in the stillness at first because those things start to rise. And so the big trick is, or not the big trick, the big understanding is understanding that is, that is going to be a process. That is a, a thing that you do have to kind of go through, which is feeling these things that you've never felt, right? Because you have to process and feel your emotions, um, which we were never taught. And that, that's also a big part of presence and stillness. These things will first come up in that space, um, which is also incredibly uncomfortable for the human because it's one never been taught to process its emotions. It doesn't know how to feel it. In fact, it has usually shame or guilt built around it. It thinks crying is weird. It thinks screaming is weird. It thinks, you know, shaking is weird or frustration is bad, like all these types of things. And, and also in these present moments, specifically in the beginning of this journey, that's a lot of this stuff is feeling these types of emotions that you've been kind of burying within the body for so long. And once it comes out, um, it'll be much easier to be present. Most people can't be present because that feeling that's, what, I mean, that's what antidepressants do is like, they don't, they don't take your problems away. They're just a, an extra lid on top of the emotions that you keep storing. And so that's why when people come off antidepressants, it's not that they have to lean off the drug. It's that when they pop the top, all those emotions are like, hello, I'm here and I've never been taken care of. And, uh, and, and, and so it's like, that's why these little moments of stillness are a little bit uncomfortable. But if you could be aware, like, oh, that's me finally feeling my emotions, you can kind of work with it a little bit easier. You'd be like, oh, okay, I'm going to go into my breath work right now. And, and these emotions that I never, ever held space for, that I never processed from possible childhood or what have you, they're going to come up a little bit. And I'm going to hold space for them in this present space. And I'm going to process them. And it, and it can come out as crying. It can come out as shaking. It can come out as laughter. It can come out in many different forms. Um, body aches, all the kind of stuff. And, and you invite that. And you become present with it. And you honor it. And you love it. And then you release it. And you let it go. 
And then after you do that for a while, a lot of this life, the way that we operate does become much easier. I think it's very, very hard for people to do what I'm talking about because they still have so much stored energy, whether it's from actual experiences or their mind movies that has created so much of this low vibrational energy that sits in them. Yeah, it's interesting when you are talking about that, like you being the the the, the Justin or observing the the Justin as a human or something like that, and and the way you talk to yourself is very interesting to me because what I see you doing as you're going through this is you are acting as your own coach or therapist, right? I I tell people all the time, you know, the power of having a coach is having what I call outside eyes, just a second perspective. When you see someone, when, when someone's so caught, they're so in it. My favorite saying is like, you can't read the label from inside the jar, right? When you're so in it, you don't see the, the real perspective. So to, to a lot of people, my situation, it's like, ah, oh, it's, it's so bad. It's this, that, the other. And then what happens when you talk to a friend, you talk to a coworker, you talk to your spouse, you talk to someone else, they go, oh, well, have you ever looked at it like this? And you go, oh, okay, yeah, okay, there is a solution. There is a way out. And what you're doing through your mindfulness, your awareness, your your every all of your practices is you're acting as that person for right. yourself in a way whereas you're giving yourself a sounding board to kind of talk through things and be like well does it have to be this way my ego my ego that thing inside me is like ah you know grab it you know go now eat the cookie do the thing you know skip the skip the cold plunge and then you're acting as your own therapist in a way and going like well let's talk yeah. through that a bit let's 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 make sure let's see is that really the case which I mean, seems like, you know, now, now that I'm saying that out loud, the best possible way to do this, right? Because you don't always have a therapist handy. You don't always have a coach handy. You don't always have someone outside yourself, but you are always there. And, you know, I'm, I'm very familiar with a lot of the concepts that you're talking about, right? Presence and awareness and, and, and the ego and stuff. But I've always, almost always heard of these things mentioned, usually around meditation. And I noticed that that's not a word that you I don't think brought up at all today. You talked about walking, you talked about breathing, you talked about a lot of things. So I'm curious, you know, what your take is on that. Do we need to meditate in some way or mindfulness? Like these, these are words that I feel like are almost cliche to a point and you didn't bring them up at all, even though we are having this. Similar yeah. So conversation. I think, um, presence, right. Presence is, I guess, meditation. I, I always used to say back in the day before, I mean, I meditate now because I realize the importance of retraining my person, right? So I do meditate now. But like I mentioned, if you like lived in the cave or if you lived in the forest or if you didn't have a phone or if you were like kind of like, you know, back in the day where there wasn't all these things vying for your attention, you probably typically wouldn't have to meditate very much because you would be simply present. So we're meditating, which is meditation is to become uh, hyper-focused on a specific thing, giving it your full attention, being mindful of whatever it is that you're doing for a period of time. And so that's presence. It's just presence. So if you're present in the cold, you are meditating. If you're present during your breath work, you, it's a form of active meditation. If you're being present as you go for your walk and you're paying attention to the trees and the sounds, that is an active form of meditation. And, and like, there's definitely different forms of meditating. Like I, I really love one of the ones that I do uh, often is where I just sit and, and listen, or I just find an anchor somewhere on my body and I pay attention to that anchor for a period of time. Of course, my mind will pull me from my anchor and then I find it and I bring it back. So there's, there's wonderful ways of practicing presence through different forms of meditations, but they're kind of one and the same. Um, 
And uh, so I think this is this is something that that, again, like all of us can really kind of get into uh, just doing on a daily basis. I think the big thing, though, as uh, as I mentioned before, is is um, you mentioned like um, how I'm able to do this for myself, hold space for this for myself. And, and again, it really comes down to not identifying with my person. Right. When I say I, I'm mostly most of the time not referring to the person that is just and I'm referring to consciousness I'm referring to the observer of my person and uh, and uh, and this is uh, this takes practice to be able to do this um, but as you as you do your breath work and you and you you use the word um, detached as but really what's happening is when you get present when you do your breath work so so here's the human, here's the person, and here's consciousness. And consciousness is so stuck to the human vessel because of the five or six senses. It's lost in the dream. It's lost in the game. It's so, so stuck. And it, 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 can't, it can't break free because the mind has it so stuck. So what if we create some stillness? What if we create some presence with whatever practice it is? And then we could just pull back a little bit, pull back. And remember that we are the observer. We are the witness. We are the watcher of this experience. We aren't the experience. We're experiencing it. And then we can really start observing our person, be less detached, so to speak, from the person, and then start making uh, or helping our human, helping our, our sentient being make better choices and have that dialogue. You know, have you ever seen the um, cartoon of the person and then on one side of the shoulders, the devil, and then one side of the shoulders, the angel, right? So mm -hmm. I think that's what's kind of happening all the time is that people are operating from these different selves. And so most of the time people are operating from the human self or most of the time it, that's where people are operating from. And then also like a lot of times the ego and, and, and that's the two conversations that are usually having. But very, but very rarely, like the, the angel on the shoulder, the higher self, the soul self, the spirit self, it's, it's always talking. It just can't be heard because the mind is so loud, right? So that's the portal that opens when you become present. And then finally, you can hear that angel that's sitting on your shoulder, that higher self, if you will, that consciousness. And it's like, hey, you should do this. You should do this. And it's like, oh, I didn't even hear you. And you're like, oh, maybe I should do this. And what's beautiful about what stillness, too, is because I truly think it's the same frequency as love is when you get still, um, the ego dissolves because it comes from fear and fear is not actually real. Yeah. And also I, I do believe that in the same vein, love is everything and love is always there. It's just being, as you just kind of said, quieted by the mind and the devil on your shoulder and all the stuff that we go in love. But like love is the base of life and the frequency that we all want to exist in, right? It was kind of like I was saying before, but your mind is always trying to do what's best for you in the same way. Like we all know what feels good and life, love feels good. And like we, we will go towards that if given the opportunity. The problem is us, the ego, the machine, all of these things are fighting to mute it because all of those things do better without that love as our base. So I, I like, and I, and I like how you explain meditation there because meditation is one of those things that I struggle with. And I know a lot of people listening struggle with and they go, well, I can't meditate or I don't have time or I'm bad at meditation, but I like the way you put it as a, it's just, it doesn't have to be this 
sitting in a lotus position and and going mm, for 30 minutes or something like that like go for a walk or just anything you do can be meditation like when i if i go for a run i try to leave my my phone and my headphones at at, at home and just be outside in silence for 30 minutes or, or an hour or something when i walk my dog leave my phone at home and just be alone with my thoughts for a while and that can all be meditation and i think that those simple action steps are the important things that I always want to leave people with because I want people to be able to, you know, as we've talked about a little bit earlier, not be so overwhelmed by so much work that they have to do and realize that sometimes it's the small things that add up, right? Change. A lot of people think that change happens in one big foul swoop and that like it's a short amount of time for a big change, right? Like I just wake up tomorrow and everything's different, but that's almost yeah. never how it works. Change happens very gradually for a long time with little things and eventually it happens. And that's frustrating because people want the change to happen now. Like I want to wake up and it be changed yeah. tomorrow, but that's just not how it works. And the more we can respect that and the more we can lean into that and just re realize that like, it's okay that it's not going to change. Uh, I'm not going to be where Justin is at, after his 10 year journey, after listening to this 45 minute podcast. Mm. And that's all right. I think that that's an important, a, a very important piece. So the, the last thing that I want to ask you, Justin, and leave listeners with. It's the same question I ask all of my guests. And you've given us a lot of stuff to think about. And I think anyone who wants to rewind this, I'm going to have to re-listen to this. But if you had one action step that listeners can take right now, as soon as this episode ends, as soon as they take their headphones out to start living a happier, healthier life. Uh, pausing. The, 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 um, I think the, the um, act of pausing can be really powerful. Um, when getting into this work and also like your breath, like finding your breath. I think that's something that a lot of people don't really um, take the moment to really um, do, which is pause and maybe just elongate their breaths and pay attention to their breath and just kind of feel their body. A lot of people are operating from the neck up. Not many people know what their body truly feels like. So I think pausing, finding your breath and just kind of paying attention to the sensations that are happening within your body. And this could be difficult at first because of the mind, but just like anything else, taking five minutes and just elongating your breath and pausing and, and, and feeling if there's tingles, feeling if there's knots in your stomach, feeling if there's anxiety in your chest or your throat and just not avoiding it, but just being present with it and just see what happens when you do that. And it, it becomes really powerful when we can start being present with our body. And, and I'll leave with one more thing, like when it comes to the, these big changes, as we mentioned, um, remember that everything is vibrational. Everything is energy, right? And I mean, everything in the universe is energy. And so essentially what we're doing here, um, we're always dealing in energy. We really are. And there's a spectrum in energy. There's a high vibration and a low vibration. And so, and that, that, leans kind of right into what we're always consuming. Is it high vibration or is it low vibration? It's neither good or bad. It's just high vibration or low vibration. So you as a consumer, which is what we are, um, you know, you're always dealing in this space. You are, you are always consuming. Um, and so just pay attention to like, what vibration are you doing this type of work in? And it's as simple as like, pay attention to the music that you're listening to. Just pay attention to it. Pay attention to the lyrics. Pay attention to what they're saying. Pay attention to why they created this music. What were their intentions behind this music? Even possibly um, what hurts is it playing at? 
right? Just pay, paying attention to what you are consuming, even through music. And, and then listen to something that maybe is made with powerful intentions, loving intentions, something like Beethoven, who played in 432 hertz, right? It's, it's pretty amazing. And then pay attention to how your body feels after you consume something like that versus, say, a WAP song. You know what I mean? Like you can, you can listen to something, you can listen to something that's talking about low vibrational things, drugs, sex, you know, death, um, all those kind of things. And then pay attention to something that's singing about love and connecting and then see how you feel. Cause right there you just consumed, even though you didn't literally buy anything, you didn't necessarily get up and actively grab anything. You are consuming this music and the same thing with the television shows that you watch. And just pay attention when you watch something late at night. If you watch a horror movie at night, pay attention to how you feel versus something that's maybe, you know, loving or funny. Pay attention to how you feel because these are all ways that we consume very, very, very minorly, but very profoundly. And, you know, and I think that's the biggest one. And um, have fun with it. Don't make it a thing. Um, but it's something that I definitely, uh, I think, has made such a profound shift in myself because, I think a lot of people, um, and I'll wrap this up, I think a lot of people are anxious because of the way they unconsciously consume in all aspects of their life, whether it be the food that they're eating. As you mentioned, you know, when you buy from a regenerative farm, there's so much mindfulness that went into that process, not only with the animals, but with the earth, right? So there's actual love, there's actual conscious mindfulness, there's that energy that went into that food. And you take that food and you take your money, which you worked for, which is now currency, it's now energy, and you buy that food. So you, now you're, you're consuming and you're changing currencies, you're changing energy, and you're taking that energy, and you're literally eating it and putting it in your body. And so that carries a vibration. And if that vibration was love and mindfulness, you're going to feel really good from consuming that food. But... If you're unaware and you, like you said, go to Costco and you grab a, and you take that currency that you worked for, that energy that you worked for, which is now your money and you purchase, um, you know, a Holocaust cow, right? And it's been mistreated and all those things and that stress and fear and mistreating and all these type of things and, and their food was really bad. It's like shitty processed food in itself and they're feeling all those things. That energy is in that animal and you take it home and you ingest it. You're going to become anxious from just eating that food, even if it is organic, even you know if it's not treated properly, even if it is just healthy food, if it's just fruits and vegetables, if it's not treated properly, that energy goes into it. So it's just good stuff to kind of think about. Um, that everything is vibration, everything is energy, and the way that we consume is very, very powerful. Again, have fun with it, uh, learn about it, and become aware of it, um, and you'll see big changes. Yeah, I, I, when I think about energy too, I also think about it from an output perspective in the sense of like you're exercising or eating healthy, but like what is the energy with which you're doing it? Are you doing it Am I trying to exercise because I hate myself and I need to hate myself skinny? Am I eating well yeah. again because like my because I, I hate my body and like I want to look good for a, a stupid uh, picture or something like that? It's like to me, that's never going to be the place that right. gets you there, right? You can you might 
you might hate yourself skinny for a, a couple months or something like that. But like it does, like again, I was saying before, everything is built on love. So, you know, what is the energy you're doing things with? Are you trying to be successful so that you can prove someone wrong or so that you can take some job from some other guy and your business that you hate? Or are you trying to be successful so that you can have more money to give to more charity to, to be to be better in the world or something like that? It's like the energy and the frequency at which we operate. And I'm not even a big energy guy, you know, but like this yeah. just makes so much sense to me. It's like how, how, how can you expect to build something good if it's coming on the energy You're of nailing, negativity? Just so you know, you know? Um, our people 90% of the time are operating from fear and lack is what you're talking about. And that's because most of the world collectively comes from a place of unworthiness of I'm not enough due to how the, the world just simply runs. Almost every one of my clients, uh, almost every single person that I know comes from a place of unworthiness of I'm not enough. I am not uh, lovable. Um, and this is because the world raises children to be socially acceptable. It's a very common thing. Parents are consistently punishing or rewarding their children based off their performance, based off of what society thinks as success. And children see this and interpret this as I am not enough. I'm unworthy to become punished. And the school reinforces this with pass or fail with your grades. No child is getting good grades because they love the curriculum because they love it. It's because they want to be good enough for mom and dad. They want to be good enough for their peers. And so they're always trying to be good enough in their grades to be worthy. And then the same thing with dogmatic religions. Am I good enough to get in the pearly white gates or am I not good enough and I go to hell? So so this, this consistent judgment, so to speak, based off of our performance is something that's ingrained with us and collectively uh, throughout our entire world. And so this is a very, very important topic. So most people, whether they're going for the body, as you mentioned, the job, the car, the girl, um, the money, it's all coming from fear and lack. And once they think, once they hit this external space of, oh, I finally accomplished it, they feel like I will finally be enough. I will finally be worthy. But that is a story and it is a program within the brain. So it needs to change is it not even change. What needs to happen is the awakening process of realizing that it is a program, that it is a story, that it was never real, that the, the whole concept of I am not enough and I am unworthy was just made up in our brains and it's just a program and that you've always been enough, that you've always been worthy, that you are love. And so that is a huge, huge awareness shift is realizing like, wow, this is just a story I've been telling myself since I was a child. It is a program and I've been going through life trying to be enough when I've always been enough. And, and it's so important, as you said, like when we work out, where is it coming from? If it's coming from love of connecting with my human, connecting with my person, being present with him or her and loving him or her, getting healthy for him or her, my human, that's so different and it's sustainable. It's so sustainable. But if you're coming from fear and lack, it's not sustainable. And when you get the hot body, you'll, you'll still feel unworthy. When you become the doctor, you'll still feel unworthy. It's the program that has to change. You've always been enough. You've always been worthy. You've always been perfect. I love that. And honestly, I mean, I'm going to stop it here because that would we, we could go for another hour just on this. This is like a whole new tangent. And there's so much we didn't even cover because you mentioned as your action step breath work. And we didn't even get into breath work, which for those listening, that's how I met Justin. I went to one of his breathwork seminars and which was amazing and uh you, you i know you do stuff online and you do stuff in person here in austin so you know let people know anyone listening who wants to learn more about you what you're doing either in person or online where can they find find you and online awesome and find yeah out what so you're doing. um essentially i teach stillness i teach stillness and i use certain modalities like the breathwork as you mentioned uh movement sound um 
conscious conversations, stuff like this is even these type of conversations are a high level of presence and focus. So I teach stillness, I teach presence, and you can find us uh, at nirvanamindandbody.com. We have wonderful communities, a community called Nirvana Nation that brings like-minded people that are doing this type of work. As you mentioned, we have events, in-person events every single month here in Austin. We also have virtual events every single month. Uh, If you are not in the area, you can find me and come with me and work with me one-on-one, whether it's through breath, meditation, as I mentioned, sound bath, sound healing, plant medicine, and uh, mentorship, conscious conversation. So there's a lot of ways to remember who you are, There's a lot of ways to awaken and become aware of the behaviors that truly do not serve you, the behaviors that are in your blind spot, and make some powerful changes in your everyday life and start living a more present, uh, more loving uh, experience. And so, yeah, you can find me at Nirvana Mind and Body. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun doing this type of work. And I'm excited to connect with more people every day. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much, Justin, for being here. That's all for this week. Be sure to subscribe and follow the show so you don't miss a beat. Support the show by sending this episode to a friend or leaving a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Stay happy, stay healthy.